You're listening to Tuned with Alastair Atkin from the Atkin Guitars Workshop. I'm Alastair Atkin, and in this podcast, I'm going to chat to a few of the music industry people I've been lucky enough to meet over the last 25 years of being a guitar maker. Amongst them are musicians, songwriters, composers, and fellow guitar makers. Some of them you'll have heard of, and some of them you might not. This week, I'm going to be talking to Andy Manson, widely considered to be the godfather of English guitar making. Andy started out at the London School of Furniture and then went on to establish his own company. Andy's made guitars for the likes of John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin, Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull, Mike Oldfield, and many, many more. What makes Andy so unique is that he's always up for trying something new. Um, We cover some of this in this chat. Andy's not only a guitar maker, but he's a real artist. And if you look at some of his work, including the Mermaid guitar, I think you'll agree that the, the world has never seen anything like this before. Andy now resides in Portugal after moving his workshop out there a few years ago. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Andy Madsen. Hey Andy, how you doing? Yeah, very good, thanks. Uh, nice to see you. <laughs> yeah, you too. So you, you, you're getting the same weather as us, are you? Or... Uh, well, I don't know if it's the, what's it, Storm Kristoff. Um, <clears throat> it's been really, really cold uh, for the last couple of weeks. A lot of yeah. frost and so on. And just today it's turned mild and it's pouring with rain and it's going to be the same for about a week, I believe. I bet you wish you'd never left England now, don't you? <laughs> you look you look you look really well. You... Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know if you knew, but I had an accident um, in May, and I yeah, I had a concussion, and it was pretty bad, really. And uh, so I was laid up for about three, four months. Oh, jeez. And um, <clears throat> couldn't do anything. But actually, uh, in a way, I quite enjoyed it. It was like a forced retreat, <laughs> a forced a forced taste of retirement, whatever that is. Did, um, did you did you like retirement? Uh, it was nice. Uh, luckily, it was the summer, so I got a lot of hammock time in, and mm. uh, um, yeah, just time for reflection. And so it, it was, uh, yeah, I made the most of it, you know. So yeah, but yeah, I'm back to work now, and uh, all's good. Still want to be a guitar maker then. <laughs> yeah, when I grow up. <laughs> well, <laughs> until I find a proper job. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, you you flat out as normal. Mm. Well, I got plenty to do. Um, I've kind of uh, changed my approach a bit, really, um, and in a way, that time off helped me to kind of rethink things a bit. Because okay. to be honest with you, since I moved to Portugal and managed to free myself of so much financial outgoing and debt and bank uh, yeah. charges and interest and all that. Um, and also I get my UK pension now and so does Debbie. Um, Good thing. That, yeah, <laughs> it, was worth, it was worth being responsible about at least one thing in my life. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, Financial pressure is not a thing here, and it's cheap to live here. Lovely. We we don't have any rent or mortgage or anything, so it's just living expenses, really. Um, and uh, so over the years, I was always under such pressure that, that 
it was like work, 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 work. And if I had a day off, I was thinking, oh, I'm losing money or you know, I owe this day to the bank. Or, oh, you know, it's horrible, isn't it? It's really oh, horrible. Yeah. Absolutely the worst. Um, so, so now I'm just taking it more at my own pace. Um, I, I mean, I've always done this work because I like it. Yeah. Um, it, it just feels me, you know, it's, it suits me in every way. But so now without all that pressure, it's quite different. It's, it's like, I, I'm really enjoying this in my life. It's, do you find it, it, it feel, do you feel more creative or you feel like you can get up and do whatever you want each day or without that sort of thing breathing down your neck? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think I'm making better guitars. I mean, I suppose, you know, we progress anyway, don't we, whatever's going on. But um, I'm I'm very satisfied with my output now, put it that oh, way. That's a great feeling. And uh, yeah, I mean, I keep hearing from various people who, who, who try your stuff, whether it's at Rudy's or they've bought something, they just sort of think it's knockout, you know. So uh, that's... Mm. Uh, I'd like to uh, one day. I'll get that mandolin on the go. <laughs> and, uh, have you still yeah. got that wood? So uh, there, there was uh, there was something hanging around, wasn't there? Or was it? Oh, I've got I've got I've got plenty of nice wood actually yeah. for the, for mandolins. Yeah. Are you making any man mandos at the moment? Um, n- no, I had a uh, a few months ago. I had a order from a guy in America for a for an A style. Uh-huh. Um, and then he hit some financial problem and he cancelled and right. um, otherwise no I've got I'm making uh, what am I doing at the moment guitars uh, yeah I'm just nearly finished uh, Guitarra Portuguesa you know a Fado guitar no I don't for a, there's well they're sort of pear shaped things and they have those those clock key tuners you know okay. like Preston tuners yeah yeah um, and uh a really, really uh, rounded fingerboard um, profile. They're double strung, so twelve string, and uh, with a funny tuning. And it's that that Fado traditional Fado music they play. Uh, this is for a guy in America. Um, actually, curiously, he's Japanese. He lives in America. Uh, he's obsessed with these guitar Portuguesas, and he plays the music and so on. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so did you make those? Is yeah. that your first one you've made, or have you done those before? No. I, well, I made I made one a similar one for him um, a few years ago, uh, a smaller one. This one he wanted it really, really fancy and a, a very fancy carving on the head and um, loads of um, very uh, complex binding and, right. and stuff. He sent me a picture of, of one he's got, an old one. He said, can you do it like this? So, yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, that's right up your street, isn't it? Well, n- not really, Alistair. My my <laughs> default preference is plain and simple. Is it? You've done a lot of not plain and simple in your life, though. Well, yeah. I, I mean, mean from, a ca- from a carving point of view, and you've always tested the uh, the realms of guitar making more than most luthiers will. Well, I, I mean, I've done some, some yeah, a bit sort of rather extreme things, like I suppose typically that mermaid yeah. um, <laughs> thing, which was just a moment of madness, really. Um, 
We need to unlock your brain to work out what the hell you were thinking at that Ooh, point. Oh, I don't know if you want to go there. <laughs> we do. No, but I mean, personally, for my own guitar playing, if you like, um, I, I just I see it as a as a tool, like a fine chisel or something. If you're working in it, and I, I would really like to find the beauty, the aesthetic beauty, in in the lines it just in the in the des- overall design and and the the execution and and the wood and to me it doesn't need to be fancy exotic wood in fact you know we've been destroying the biodiversity at a stupid rate just to have fancy wood yeah. you know yeah uh, which doesn't make any difference to it as a tool um I had a bit of a conversation, well, a slight conversation with Linda Manzer about that. She just uh, published a photo of a a really nice arch top she just made and saying that it was mm-hmm. made with all local wood, um, yeah, nothing fancy and so on. And uh, yeah, I just had to totally agree with her and say, yeah, that's that's surely that's the the way forward now. I mean, we need to preserve these forests, otherwise the planet's going to go. Uh, down the drain. Absolutely. I think what a lot of people who perhaps don't sort of uh, know about tone woods and, and such, they, they would imagine that these more expensive woods are going to produce a better tone and all, all that yeah. kind of thing. But I think probably most of us know that it really is down to what you do with this wood and you can yeah. you can pretty much make a great guitar out of anything if, if the wood's stable enough. Absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah. Bob Taylor was famous for his pallet guitar, wasn't he, years ago? Exactly, exactly, um, yeah. And I, I've got a thing about perfection, actually. It's a thing that I meditate about quite a lot because we have this ridiculous phrase, nothing is perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, so why do we have the word perfect if if it doesn't exist? And And if you turn that around... I would turn it around and say perfection is actually nothing. People want absolutely perfect, great, like a soundboard with absolutely no, 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 no blemishes, nothing. What are you going to do? You're going to cut a tree down and say, "Oh, this bit doesn't look quite right." I'll put that on the fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, it's wrong. Is it? Yeah, I tend to think of guitars now as a bit like humans, really. And and there is perfection there, and there's also the yeah. the, the sort of uh, the flaws, but that's what makes yeah. it beautiful. And and you have to yeah. sort of, you have to accept both, moving forward, don't yeah. you? And, uh, yeah, I think I think for me ultimately perfection is if if it'll do if that'll do, yeah, you've you've hit perfection. If if it does what you want, what you intended it to do, that's perfect. That's a great way of looking at it, isn't it? And I don't know if it's a great way. It's just my way. <laughs> well, I do. I do think so because I, I think that very thing you're talking about with all the, um, you know, trying to get every piece of wood perfect. It it's kind of yeah. you're chasing something that is isn't really real, and uh, and you're missing all the great stuff that happens when you're not chasing that. Um, and yeah. uh, I think we yeah. both know that you can you can have the best wood in the world but for some reason this one i made last week that's got a bit of this and that on it somehow sounds brilliant <laughs> so uh, exactly exactly yeah, yeah i remember years ago a, a friend of mine said he went to 
Spain and he wanted to buy a, a nice guitar while he was there, uh, you know, a Spanish guitar. And, you know, he went to one or two of the top makers and looked at stuff. And he just tried loads and loads of guitars. In the end, he bought one that was made in a little workshop, more or less in the street, that was looked pretty crude, but he said it was the one that he liked most. Yeah. And it yeah. was really cheap. So, so anyway. That, that is perfect, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think it, I, something I've always wanted to ask you was how you started this and, and uh, w what sort of led you to, to down the road of becoming a guitar maker. Um, now you've probably been asked that question many times, but I've certainly n never heard that story. Um, um, <clears throat> well, um, I think I probably it, it more or less started. Uh, I don't know when does it start. It starts when you're born or something. But I, I suppose I remember at school there were boys who were in bands. They had a band in the in the in the basement, you know, and um, mm -hmm. I was really envious of that. I wanted to get a guitar and. And uh, and then uh, one of the teachers at my school, um, somebody had given him a guitar, an acoustic guitar, thinking, oh, you know, you could play this with the children and they'd like it. And he just didn't, you know, it wasn't his yeah. thing at all. He ended up giving it to me. And it was, I think it was called Martin Coletti, if I remember yeah, it right. Yeah. I, don't, I, I know that name. Do you know that name? Yeah. Yeah. And it was a really simple, completely plywood thing with a floating bridge and a tailpiece and a, yeah. and a sort of wobbly neck. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, well, it was the guitar I had, and I think I, I think I got a, something like uh, you know the 101 best American folk songs or something like that, and started you know learning a couple of chords and yeah, and then. Um, a friend of mine had a, a an old Framus 12 string mm -hmm. that he wanted to sell and so I bought that from him and I strung it at six strings and it was far superior to the the Martin Coletti yeah um, so I played that for a while and then somehow or other I it went missing and uh, so eventually I thought well I mean I was only well, I was I think 18 at the time and I thought well I thought maybe I could make one, and and, uh, and there was no information that I could find really, apart from I think John Bailey's book I came across, but there was some little book, maybe it was, I don't know, there was some book a little bit about guitars, and it told you how to work out the the, the scale length, yeah, the the fret fret positions, and mm -hmm. um, I I didn't know that there were fairly standard string lengths, you know, within yeah. the parameters. And I thought, how, now how, how long do I make it? So I thought, I know, I'll buy a packet of strings and see how long they are. <laughs> yeah. I thought, well, well, I need that that much to go down into the bridge. I mean, I need about that much to go on the machine heads. Right, I'll make it that long. And I think yeah. it was about, <laughs> it was long. It was like a bazooki length yeah. neck. Yeah. And, um, and it was a very, very crude thing. I, I just found some bits of wood in my dad's garage, some old shelving wood, and the front and the back were oak. Right. And, and the sides were plywood, quite a thin plywood that I could bend. The neck, I think it was teak. 
Okay. And um, it was all glued together with aerodite because that's yeah. what my dad had, <laughs> and a few screws here and there, and um, and fine. Anyway, the thing worked, and uh, you could play tunes on it. So I thought, oh great, I've got a guitar. That's it's amazing, though, isn't it? How many people did that and actually made something that worked? Yeah. Well, look at some of the stuff people make in like far out places in the middle of Africa, you know, use a yeah. bit of corrugated iron and, you know, break cables for strings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I did that and that, I went around busking a bit. And by that time, I'd left school and it was, it, you know, it was the hippie revolution. And it was like, no, I don't want to go to university. Who cares? You know? <laughs> and I was with a friend in his car and we had a car crash. And the right. and the and the guitar got broken. And the front got stoved in. Mm-hmm. So I I found a piece of plywood in a in a tip, in a bin, you know. And yeah. um, and I was a bit drawn to it because it had quite a nice veneer cover. Of bit of figure surface. on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that looks that looks nice. I'll, I'll do that. I'll use that. And I stuck it on, and and blow me down. But it sounded different. I right. thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then well, I went on wandering about and doing a bit of busking here and there, and I used to go to London and play in the subways, and then hitch over to France and go to Paris and down to the Côte d'Azur, and wow. and just with completely no ambitions whatsoever, just to earn enough for the you know next meal and a packet of gold was or something, <laughs> and uh, going where the wind took you. Yeah, totally, and 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 then and then I came back to England, and I. I was. I ended up down in Wales, and I'd run out of money. And there was a local guy who was a, a timber, um, a forester, mm-hmm. a German fellow, and um, he just cleared a piece of forest for somebody who wanted a field there. So they took all the timber away, and so they were left with all the branches and stuff. And he, he paid me twenty-five quid to go and get rid of it, to burn right. it, basically, yeah. have a huge bonfire. Yeah. So I thought, well, this is going to take me a week. So I, I got a lorry tarpaulin and rigged up a sort of tent in the trees next to it. And, and I remember, I didn't think about food too much. I thought, oh, well, baked beans will do. So I just got a case of baked beans that's, and, and I think some coffee or something. Yeah. And so that's all I had for a week. And, yeah, those were the days when... We used to take cough mixture because of the opium in it, and right. so I, t- I took a few bottles bottles okay. of that with me. So I was up this up this mountain out of my box <laughs> with a huge bonfire for for about a week, and then a, a friend of mine down there, who a Welsh guy, who he was a uh, at university doing architecture, and he came up and found me up the mountain and and said, oh, "How are you going?" And I said, "Oh, I don't know." I, I don't know what I'm going to do really from now on. It's, I feel like I need to, you know, do something a bit more settled than just wandering about. And and he said, you should go to college. He said, doesn't matter what you do. It's just a great life. Right. <laughs> and so I thought, be well, oh, well, okay. yeah, that's an idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a girlfriend down there and her mother saw an article in the, in the Sunday paper about, um, the college in London that taught musical instrument making. So I right. thought, oh, right. I uh, got the address, just wrote them a letter and said, 
I'd like to do this. I built a guitar and, and immediately I got, and this was in the middle of the summer. Immediately I got a letter back saying, great, come and see us, bring your guitar and we'll talk about it. So I did, went up to London and there was this lovely guy, Mr. Gilby, who ran the course. Yeah. And it turned out it was actually just for piano technicians. Tuning and and you know restoring pianos and so on, and he said, and he looked at the guitar and he said, "Can you tune it?" And I thought, "Well, of course, that's what you do with guitars all the time." <laughs> so I put it in tune. Oh, he said, "Very impressive." He said, uh, uh, "He said, well, why don't you come and start in September? You can do your own thing." He said, "There's because it was at the College of Furniture and." Um, we've got all the woodworking shots we've got wood finishing um, right you come and do your own thing and and pianos it's all about strings and soundboards and yeah so he said we'll have a lot in common and it turned out and he said come in september so so it was that the the london school of furniture as i i would have known it in in the east end yeah on commercial street yeah well the, the 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 year I, the first year that I was there, it was actually in Shoreditch, right, um, in a little old place. And then the following year, they moved it to Commercial Road. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah, because I I spent my I did mine up there as well as loads of people did. did. You? Yeah. But I didn't realise that you'd actually done that. That's uh, that's interesting. So you yeah. were the f- the first guitar maker, well, potentially. No. Well, actually, actually, I was the second because. Uh, there was a guy called Stephen Delft, who is now Simca Delft in New right. Zealand. Okay. Um, who, who was already an established maker, lived in Cable Street, just mm. nearby, um, had a workshop. And he, um, it was in the days when you could get a grant for college and yeah. so on. And so he, he applied, he wanted a, like a sabbatical year to study um, early instruments, lutes and mm-hmm. so on. So he'd already been there for a year, and I guess that kind of opened the door for me, really, probably. And um, yeah. anyway, he took me under his wing and was really helpful. And and then the following year he left, and so my second year they let me go to his workshop, I think two or three days a week, because they said you might as well do that. As, yeah, yeah. You know, He's the man. Hanging out <laughs> with the piano tuners. And, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and that was the start of it. And I, I kind of, I guess, I never looked back. Really, it was just something to do that I really enjoyed. It was I found fascinating and totally engrossing, really. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and so that was round about 1970 or so. And I didn't know any other makers at all apart from Stephen. And I said, well, there was Clifford Essex, I think. And yeah. Dick, I think Dick Knight was going and. And a few classical makers, yeah. But actually, as time went on, um, and I ended up sort of going to some of the trade shows where you could, you know, get a bit of a look in and yeah, bag yeah. a bit of space on a string stand or something. Started to meet um, people like uh, uh, Jim, uh, Chris May for Overwater. Yes, and, yeah, yeah, I know Chris. And, so so it turned out that actually there were a few of us who were starting out, you know, at this, more or less the same time. It was a movement. And of course there was no, 
Yeah, it, yeah. But interestingly, I mean, it, no, there was no internet or anything in those days, so communication was, you know, either either face to face or by letter or telephone. I mean, that was yeah. it. Yeah. And um, so it was a very different world, very very different. So that's how I started, really. And I had a lot of luck, um, Alistair. I'd, very early on, I was living in the same town as John Paul Jones, and I just went and knocked on his door and said, I, you know, I didn't even know who they were. Led Zeppelin, <laughs> never heard of them. And, and uh, I just said, you know, I'm your local guy if you need any repairs or anything like that. And oh, fantastic. So Where was we, that then? Which town was that in? That was, that was in Crowborough. Crowborough, in right, Su okay. In Sussex, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and then after a bit, my brother got involved there. He, you know Hugh, of course. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, there was a friend of mine who had a like an artisan or craftsman's post at Seven Oaks College. He was a resident. Well, he was a loot maker actually. And he got. He wanted to move on. And and I, my brother was, he was fed up with teaching in Devon and. Um, I said, hey, this, there's an opportunity maybe here. You could, because he'd done silversmithing at college. Okay. And uh, I said, maybe you could go and apply there. And and uh, he said, oh, great. And we started talking about him coming up to Sussex to stay with me to then go and check out that place and see if it would work for him. And during the conversation, I said, well, if it doesn't work out, you you, you can always come and work with me. I said, well, I'll do that anyway. I'll <laughs> <So, laughs> do that instead, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, how are we going to do, what's the best way to do this? And I thought, well, I only make acoustic guitars. I'd made a couple of electrics, I think, but I wasn't that interested. And, mm. uh, um, so I suggested, well, if you take on the electric side, and he said, great, I'll do that. And um, so he had to work out some notice at his school. And so in the meantime, I... I designed a, an electric guitar that we could just that he could just walk straight into and and okay. so on and so yeah we made quite a, quite a few of those and yeah were you selling to shops or were you selling to end users both really yeah right. I used to sell to um, Ivor Morantz quite yeah. a lot and Hobgoblin Music in Crawley yeah yeah. Yeah, a bit of both, really. Yeah. And, I, and, and then we started going to shows a bit more often and and, and um, started meeting some other people. Like Then I got involved with Jethro Tull and did a lot of work for Ian Anderson and wow. um, Martin Barr. And so, yeah, I just had a lot of luck, really. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a very reactive person. I'm not proactive at all. I just kind of... I tend to deal with what's in front of my face, you know, because there's enough to do with that, you know, yeah. rather than well, make plans. And I, I guess you also, you know, you put yourself out there doing it, and uh, there weren't a lot of people doing it at that time, were there? You know, and, and some, mm. of, some of those guys mm -hmm. actually genuinely needed something a little bit different, and so uh, it helped steer, they did, like, steer their music in the right direction. Exactly, like Ian Anderson, he. Uh, he had exclusively Martin guitars. He had some deal with Martin, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, he used to buy the. He used to use those. Um, what they called New Yorkers, you know, the twelve fret. The little. Um, yeah. 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 And most of the time, he played with capo on the second fret. Mm -hmm. 
and and he wanted the neck the necks he would have liked the necks a slightly different dimension anyway sideways sideways yeah and uh he said i can't get martin to do anything he said they just you know they just want to make their standard models how do you feel about making something so yeah i made a few for him and i mean at the time yeah at that point did did that make a lot of difference to you if you you said uh, you know people knew you had made guitars for people like led zeppelin and and jethro tull did, could you honestly say that that changed the the rest of your business was it people who were into those guys coming to buy oh yeah cars? yeah 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 definitely i mean it, it, it's just i think even more back then than now is, is that it, you just got so much kudos from that i mean the really big thing that made a hell of a difference actually was stephen delved um was involved with uh, a magazine called acoustic magazine or something okay uh, anyway an english magazine yeah um he phoned me up one day and said he said look um the magazine are doing an article with mike oldfield mm-hmm. and they're gonna they want him to review i think it was 10 instruments and it, so he'd just go through them and make a little review and so on and uh, steve said have you got anything uh-huh. he said you know because it'd be nice if you could put one into that and i i had on my bench sort of half made um i'd, I'd gone a bit kind of off track and i i was making some i had that sort of young man's thing of you know i know better than anybody else i you know <laughs> uh, i'm going to design my own type of guitar and so on yeah and they uh, I, I, I was starting to get a feel these aren't really working very well, actually, when it comes down to it. Because the first one I made at the College of Furniture with Stephen was, mm-hmm. um, it, it was basically an American dreadnought guitar. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to make, I'm going to make another one of those. So I had that on the go, and it was, I was pretty pleased with it actually. It was only half done, but it was going how I wanted it. And I said, well, I've got this one. I said, how soon do you need it? He said, there was no rush. It's This is for a couple of months or something. And I said, oh, I can finish it by then. Yeah, no problem. So anyway, so I sent it out and didn't think much more of it. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, nice to have a little review and so on. So next thing that happened was uh, after I sent it up, about a couple of weeks later, I had a call from Stephen and it, he said, uh, he said, your guitar, he said, you better sit down, I think. And uh, <laughs> I said, oh, <laughs> why? <laughs> and he said, uh, Mike absolutely loves it and he wants to buy it. Oh, fantastic. So it, it turned out, what, what it was actually was that he had a, a Martin D28 or something and he was donating that to the magazine mm-hmm. for a prize for the some raffle or something. And yeah. um, so they bought my guitar which he wanted and so he had that and the the review said the best guitar i've ever played and he was on the front cover with this you know and what what year was that then that was i i could tell you exactly it was 1981 brilliant oh wow that's a good picture isn't it i think you were just in at the sort of right time really in in as much as these guys when music really was important to people and and they were 
amazing players, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Who, uh, who took it, in, and not that people don't now, but the music was quite different, I think, back then. Yeah, very and, much. And the industri- yeah. industry had, um, and of course the progressive rock thing was really going, yeah. you know, pretty... I mean, it was, uh, in some ways, it was, a, it was a smaller world in terms of, the world of music was sort of smaller, and there, there weren't so many makers, and back then it wasn't that difficult to if you had a bit of talent um, and imagination to start a band and actually do something serious with it mm-hmm. i mean now it's completely different isn't it i mean it, it, you know you can you can make a, a publishable album in your bedroom you know? exactly exactly and i mean which is brilliant isn't it it's it, and yeah, some people it's great. some people do it to great effect it's, yeah. it's another world to the one that yeah 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 very and I remember just yeah. seeing your you know in the days when you'd buy albums I'd buy these album covers and I'd look at sort of who who played what and all that stuff the yeah which you know geeky stuff and I'd see your name on on lots of stuff and you know I'd buy the because I was a big Jethro Tull fan had had all those yeah. albums I think crikey Manson he's there again you know and that you you <laughs> but you you did sort of remember those things and people don't see that anymore you know you don't really no. get that album and that that that's because it really does endorse something when a massive album comes yeah. out doesn't it um, absolutely yeah, yeah 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 how many guitars were you making a year at that point do you think and what sort of amount of you and oh. Hugh were working separately and I've n- yeah I've no idea the numbers I mean I know that that all in all up to now I've made something like about 1200 or something wow i don't know something like that but that, that actually that includes i mean that's bazookis and mm-hmm. you know a few other things and, yeah um at the time i was actually in right at the beginning i was i got interested in lutes and i made a few lutes and yeah then i got together with hugh and actually another guy in in crowborough um uh john bruff and we we were all working together for a while, um, and it was sort of a loose partnership, I suppose, in a business mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I never had any idea about how you run a business, or I, I didn't have a clue. But um, Hugh's a bit more kind of savvy in that area, um, right? Yeah. And we went on, and we and then we employed a couple of other people. And we had quite a thing going, and I was supplying Ivor Morantz and Hobgoblin and people, and I don't know where the electric guitars were going. I think there was a guy, there was a dealer, actually it was a teacher in London that was buying quite a lot of them, and he was selling them to his students, and I don't know, he started getting some orders and the electrics, and and then we made it a limited company, and, and somebody invested a little bit of money in it, and and yeah, that sort of, after a bit, that went a bit kind of, Sour, and I can't really remember the details. I tried not to <laughs> think about all that too much. But um, <laughs> one one weekend, Hugh said, I- "I'm going down to Devon. I can't. I, I kind of go and stay with friends that I had down there." Uh-huh. And I said, oh, "Great, go on then, have a rest." And um, and then he came back and he said, "Oh, David and Marilyn have got this amazing place, and there's a there's we can have a workshop down there." Wow. And I and and we could just move down there. And I said, right, let's go. Let's do <laughs> and, it. Let's get out of town. And, yeah. 
my marriage was well over and I'd, I'd left with nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of camping in an old mill or something. And, um, and then we just moved everything down. We, we hired a truck, put all his house stuff and all the yeah. workshop stuff in his truck. And the, and the leaf springs like that. Yeah, yeah. And um, Hugh and I, at that point, we were in a partnership. Mm-hmm. And then I, I wasn't keen on the, the business side of how that was going. I, I'm not saying there was anything wrong, or it just didn't feel like it wasn't me, you know? I okay. didn't feel comfortable. Yeah. So I, I sort of went on my own and found a workshop and ultimately Hugh, he, he got the shop in Exeter and, and, and so on. And well, you probably know a bit more about his history. <laughs> well, I've seen, I, I've seen, I've met Hugh a few times and I've obviously watched, yeah. watched what he's done. And I mean, he, he seems to be out of the business now. Is, is that right? Or, or is out a part of it? He, well, he did. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he, he was very dynamic and very, and quite ambitious, really, and right. and he got, he got a lot of good things going. I mean, that shop was amazing, yeah. And he was still making stuff as well. And then he got involved with Matt Bellamy, um, Muse, Muse, yeah, uh, the Muse, Muse guy, man. and yeah. um, and designed a whole range of guitars for Matt specifically. Yeah. And then that that turned into like a business opportunity because everybody wanted one, mm. and that really took off. It, it did really well with mm. that. And then the last thing was that that um, he was getting a bit tired and had enough of business, and yeah. So he's yeah he's taking it a bit easy now, and you know uh, he has a couple of people in the shop running the shop. I think he goes in now and again. I think and, that's but, worked yeah, worked out pretty well then, hasn't it? It sounds yeah like. yeah. No, he's done well. He's, he's done yeah. very well for himself. Yeah yeah. And uh, the the other thing. I, I've got your book and uh, the the one. Where, uh, what does it say at the back? What does a guitar maker do when he wins the lottery? <laughs> Is that oh, your yes. book? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it was it, that, that was going around at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go back to work till the money runs out. <laughs> <laughs> but that's yeah, what, yeah, you, that's you right. were working with with um, Simon and Andy, who now run Brooks at that point, weren't you? Yeah, one of my customers who became a good friend actually um had several guitars from me he wanted he wanted me to be ambitious and he said look i got some money why don't we make a little factory right and i didn't i didn't want to do it at first and then he, he persuaded me i thought oh well let's have a go mm. so i found um simon who was uh um he was doing building work actually he did some for us in our house and he's very much an artist, and so on, mm. and, and and a craftsman. And um, and then uh, Andy was, uh, well, he's done a number of things in his life, but when I knew him, he was um, a car mechanic. Right, yeah. I remember I asked him to make um, a stand for a polishing machine, and it was great. He made a really nice job of it. And and he, I know he was fed up with the cars, and I said, well, do you want to come in on this? And he said, oh, yeah, let's have a go at that. So, yeah, so we did that for a while. And then, again, predictably, <laughs> after about two or three years, I just I couldn't handle it. Well, you're, it sounds like you're a, you're a solo artist, aren't you? You're not meant to be in the band. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, 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 it took me a long time to realise that, Alistair. After, 
and, and I'm not saying I regret any of those occasions. And I got, you know, I think we all got in our own ways a lot from it each time mm. that happened. But yeah, in the end, yeah, I am. I'm, I mean, in terms of my work, I'm a control freak. It's like nobody yeah. touch it. You know, this is how <laughs> I do it. <laughs> Don't even try and tidy the workshop. You yeah. know, it's like yeah. I see. And, and um, <clears throat> yeah, so so in the end, I, I left them to it, and they they made Brook guitars. And who found that workshop? Oh, that belonged to uh, a friend of ours. Yeah. I mean, I just for anyone who's never been there, it's idyllic, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lovely place. Yeah. Yeah, well, Graham and Anne, who own that property, um, and they they bought this huge, great old farm, and um, yeah, they were in the process of turning it into like workshops and so on, but to a level where it could actually become a house at yeah. one point. Yeah, if that was decided later on. I mean, the yeah, the, the, the photography in your book in that workshop looks spectacular and it's got this really warm glow and and it just feels like uh, it's got so much personality in it that that is unlike anything else you'd see anywhere else and I, I think that's kind of must be part of what makes you who you are really because it, it, it's I never see anything that looks anything like your stuff made by anybody else it's it's unique and uh, yeah I mean, I yeah, I think I, I very near the beginning, I came up on the, the thing, and some guy came to me. And he said, um, he said, I want a Martin something rather D whatever, and mm. um, can you build me one? I, just the whole thing was like he wanted me to make a handmade identical thing to a Martin something or other for probably half the price or something. Mm-hmm. I thought no. If you want a Martin, go. You know, Martin Guitar Company make Martins. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just didn't, I didn't want to do it, and yeah, I just had my own ideas, I suppose. But the photography, yeah, the photography in that book—that's that was an interesting thing because I I hadn't really done any photography before that. Barely, oh, it's you, it's you your know. photography, and, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and. Um, yeah. And I, and I, so I had the idea for this thing, and I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I thought, well, I don't even know what camera I need to get. And, mm-hmm. and um, I was talking to my dad about it, and he said, "Oh, he said I've got this um, Pentax SLR. He said you can have it. He said I bought this other newfangled thing or something, and uh, that's what I'm using." So I said, "Oh, great! Well, I'll use that then. Thanks." <laughs> I went and bought a tripod, mm-hmm. and. Um, so that was that was fine, and I, I, but I didn't know about lighting. So, and I tried a few things, and I realised the lighting wasn't right somehow. And and so, I borrowed this uh, one of those screens, you know, like a cinema screen, thing, yeah, you know, for showing slides. Mm-hmm. Quite big. It's a re- really good reflective surface. It's, yeah. it's huge, actually. It's about five or six foot maybe it's about six foot wide and about four foot deep or something mm-hmm. so i with a system of pulleys and strings i rigged it up in the ceiling so you could move it and reflect right. and i yeah. had some lamps so you could reflect the light in different ways and that worked really well and then and then i discovered that because i was using just ordinary film 
Mm-hmm. The photographs that came out that were largely artificial light, the light in, from the lamps, mm-hmm. were kind of yellowish. But then I noticed that things like steel rulers or chisels or something that were receiving light from the window were mm-hmm. blue. Yeah, yeah. So I started to play with that that kind of juxtaposition. So you got this nice kind of glow and then these flashes of blue. And, oh, it looks, and so it looks great. It was, it was a lot of fun doing that, actually. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm thinking probably after you left or stopped working with Andy and and uh, Simon, that I think that it was then that I met you. And it was at one of those guitar Cheltenham. shows. Cheltenham, that's right. Yeah. And I, 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 I remember seeing, I can't remember who got there first, but I saw your name plate on the stand as you do. And I was like, oh, I'm next to Andy Madsen. This is brilliant. And, uh, and you had the... Um, you had the uh, Mermaid guitar with you, and I and I was right next to it all weekend. I, I did, yes. And uh, for people who don't know anything about this guitar, just Google Andy Manson Mermaid, and you'll see something spectacular and a, a guitar that you, no one will ever see the likes of again. I I, could, I can't imagine. But it's it's a mind blowing piece of art, really, and and um, the skill level is insane. But do, how did that come about? And and I mean, the other thing I will say before before we go anywhere <laughs> is that the case that this guitar is in is as good as the thing as the actual guitar, kind of. It's it the the whole package blew my mind. Tell yeah, tell tell me a bit where that came from. Well, the case actually was, yeah, that was almost the most difficult bit because <laughs> I, I built that thing in my workshop in Crediton upstairs and the stairs were like tiny little windy thing. I thought, I can't make a big box for this thing. I won't get it out. You know, it's like building an airplane in the loft or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I had to make it fit as closely as possible to the to the mermaid. And, um, yeah, it was. it took about three months just to make the case. But... The, um, the guitar, though, where, you what? You woke up one morning and thought, right, I'm gonna, I need to do something different now. Yeah, it was very complicated actually, but yeah, I suppose in a nutshell, um, I came to a point where yes, I wanted to do something, something that's very different for all sorts of reasons. Um, I had an idea that partly that if I can make something really spectacular, I might be able to raise quite a lot of money to, and I was interested in raising some money for a, for a farming charity in Africa. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that, that was partly what was behind it. So things that have, perceived value part of perceived value is rarity so if i can make something that's unprecedented mm-hmm. uh that that would be on its side um but then again how can i do it using my what skills and equipment i have yeah without having to go to a whole some other whole field and i thought well obviously guitar making i was going through quite a lot of mental changes, shall we say, at the mm-hmm. time. 
psychological changes. I, I became very fascinated, if not obsessed, with the whole concept of chaos and transformation and uh, various things along those sort of lines. I was often fascinated by, the, by the, this endless discussion of what is art. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I haven't. Ex- I, I, how do I know? I'm not an artist. I'm, I'm an engineer, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. And and I would like to do something that is, as far as I could understand it, a piece of art. And and I kind of I'd worked out. I thought, well, part of the essence of of art, or or what you do if you're a so-called artist, is that the work you do is transformational. And, and in a way, the end piece is kind of dead. It's, it's gone. It's, it, people can look at it and make what they want of it. But the real event is actually while you're doing it. That's your yeah. transformational process that you go through while you're actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And I, I somehow hooked onto the idea of a mermaid, which is a transformational creature because they come out of the sea and they, their tail turns to legs and mm-hmm. they go back into the sea and, and, they, and, they, and they go back to having a tail again. So I thought, a mermaid, that'd be a great idea. Because actually, for, for years, I, I had this kind of idea in the back of my mind to make something like that, but it would be not, not a mermaid, just an ordinary person. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, they talk about the soundboard of a piano or a guitar as the belly sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I thought, well, the bridge would be on the belly. And that, that kind of is just, you know, yeah. from that, it's like <laughs> obvious. Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah. And then I thought, the only problem with that is if you've got the neck sticking outside of it, it's going to be unbalanced. And then the transformational idea took me to the mermaid. And I thought, oh, yeah, with a tail, then you could curl the tail around and it can support the neck. Yeah, yeah. Or balance it. So so that evolved. And, and it was quite an experience. I must say it was transformational in, in all sorts of ways. I went through a lot doing that thing because I I used to think a lot about how chaos is infinite possibility really so when things are in absolute chaos in total chaos there's infinite possibility nothing's occurred yet so anything can happen Mm -hmm. I thought I used to think a lot about that and I and I realized that to create a, a sort of a chaotic situation in the sense of infinite possibility so in other words my workshop would be a place it would be set up in such a way that i can make anything mm-hmm. any type of instrument stringed instrument you want i could do it in there it's not committed to three models of guitar or whatever yeah because because i'd spent some years making loads of jigs and and stuff to make things more efficient and after a bit i was drowning these bloody <laughs> wooden sort of <laughs> contraptions yeah. I mean, I, and I, and also i found them very restricting because every mm-hmm. time you wanted to change anything you had to make a new one thought, yeah this yeah. is ridiculous get rid of i had a huge bonfire just burnt a lot mm-hmm. and and now i just more or less build them in fresh air because you can you can do anything you can make yeah. any shape you want yeah yeah so so the chaos and the possibility thing, and, and and actually my working title for the mermaid was possibility. Right. And I got to the point on the, the headstock. I wanted to do a 
little inlay these on there. And I, and I thought, I, I want to do a thing that says chaos, but I wanted it a little bit enigmatic. So I thought, I wonder what the Chinese pictogram for chaos is. Mm -hmm. So I went down to the local um, Chinese apothecary and I uh, didn't know any other Chinese people. So, <laughs> so I said, can you help me? I, I want, can you tell me what the pictogram for chaos is? And, and the woman in there sort of looked at me like chaos. And I tried to explain what I meant by chaos. And she was a bit like, didn't quite get it. I, I felt like she wasn't quite sure what I meant. Mm -hmm. She said, and so she said, look, she said, come back next week. I'll talk to a couple of guys, the, the doctor and people. And so I went back and she'd come up with this beautiful little pictogram. And she said, uh, and she explained it to me because you know they're made up of different elements, so they're they're not just one thing. They set, they tell a little story. Okay, basically, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think the very very early ones were much more graphic than they are now. They kind of they sort of went a bit shorthand, so that so they're more abstracted the the, the elements. So it turned out it was there was a a thing depicting the sun. Mm -hmm and a thing depicting water and then another and then sprouting something about plants sprouting and she explained it she said what it means is the watery void from which life evolves mm -hmm. I thought, perfect yeah that's yeah. it that's uh, and uh, yeah so that that was quite fun yeah it took it took about three years I think it worked the whole thing and it cost me a lot of money to do to do that whole thing and <clears throat> I did eventually sell it actually I sold it through Rudy found the customer I think I last saw it in Rudy's shop yeah yeah and the amount I got for it, it nowhere near covered what it cost me so it was like well I've just got to pay myself back and that's it <laughs> but <laughs> and, I mean uh, what 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 a beautiful thing to have done because I mean, who else would have gone through that? And uh, it, it's, I mean, do you, who's got it? Do you see it? Or someone must be loving that thing? Um, it's a guy in, uh, he lives in Anaheim next to oh, yeah. Los Angeles. Yeah. Right by the sea. So it's nice. And, it's, she's sort of near home. <laughs> um, he's a guy that actually bought, he bought, I think he bought that um, triple neck. Right, that I made that again, Rudy sold to him. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's there was that connection already, and and um, yeah, so it's, so he bought it, and he's a really nice guy because I I went to um, to the Nam show, mm -hmm. um, which is right there, ago. isn't it? It's yeah, uh, yeah. And um, I actually I was vis we were visiting our daughter in Australia, mm -hmm. sort of coinciding with that. So I flew on from Sydney to. Los Angeles. So I I couldn't really take any instruments with me, but I thought, oh, um, this guy, maybe, you know, he's so friendly and everything, maybe he can help. And he said, oh, no problem. I'll bring, how many guitars do you want? And I'll bring the mermaid. And so I had an amazing display at Nam. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's the story of the mermaid. I mean, do, do uh, you, that, that's, were you working on other stuff at the same time or was it? literally every day the mermaid I mean, oh no i was doing a bit of other stuff as well yeah um, yeah I, 
I had this idea for making a thing called a slide slammer. I call it a slide slammer, which raises the nut on the guitar mm-hmm. for slide playing. Yeah. Without without altering the tension. Mm-hmm. And I made I don't know something like seven prototypes and. And then, I, and then I made a whole batch of, I thought I got it, and I made, I think, a hundred of these things by hand for the milling machine. And and, um, and then at the last minute, I decided it was wrong. They were far too heavy, and I trashed the lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I went back to the drawing board, and I, and I, and I designed another much better one. And But things like that, you need so much sort of R&D resources that, to really get them sensibly marketable, you know whether they whether they where they're really serviceable and you know you're satisfied with it. Mm. I, I couldn't take it far enough. I just I thought no enough because <laughs> I I worked on a load of other stuff as well, like a little palm bender and right yeah and uh, and also a new type of machine head that that worked with just a, instead of a post going round, it just had a lever that sort of went back like that yeah the string yeah. And uh, uh, it was—I mean, it was all really interesting stuff—and uh, and kept the old brain ticking away furiously, and very satisfying in that respect. But uh, it's, it's you know, it's, uh, I tend to find that you know you spend so much time with harebrained ideas, or you wake up one morning and it's like I've got to try this, and then you go down yeah. a, you go down a rabbit hole, don't you? And and you sort of yeah, but. I never find it actually wastes. I mean, it wastes time, but oh, it's it's an investment, no. and it it does it does yeah. make sense to do it. And occasionally, very occasionally, something really good happens. Yeah. And uh, no, I mean, I, I I learned an awful lot about a lot of things with with all those all, all that work on those devices. But yeah, nothing of fruition that that would give me a payback. Give you that, you know. <laughs> The money, yeah, yeah. Into, the um, money. But I've never really been in it for that anyway. So, have you? So that and then around then, that's when you decided to move over to Portugal, I guess. Just after after that, was it? After the mermaid was, yeah, it wasn't long after. Oh no, the mermaid came here actually. Did it? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, ten and a half years ago or so, we moved here. Is it ten yeah. years now? Wow, that's gone quickly, hasn't it? Yeah. So it's just, amazing. It just feels like home, really. Yeah, yeah. And so everything I see, and yet, but you, people can follow your Facebook page. Is it, it what? What is your Facebook page? The what? The one with all the, the guitars well, on. Yeah, that's. Um, I think it's just Andy Manson Custom Guitars. Yeah, I haven't done much on there recently, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff already there. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the photo albums, there's tons of stuff that that I've done over the years, but. Yeah, I kind of got a bit tired of doing all that, to be honest. Um, I'm, I'm in the process of, of, of having somebody make me a new website because I'm not really happy with the website mm-hmm. I've got. I can't even get myself together to, to organise that and get the <laughs> pictures that I want to put on it. But it all changes so quickly as well, doesn't it? You do one of these websites I and know. before you know it, it's, it feels out of date. And uh, Yeah. You've, you've well, kind of... what I want to do with this, I, mean, just, I was trying to make it to the last one. I, I got a guy to do it and I, it was too much on it. I, was, I don't know what it's... I, what I want is something that's really simple and so it'll have like guitars and it'll have just have one picture of the various kinds of guitars that I make so like a 
an OM type, my mm -hmm. Bluebird model, um, 12 fretter, thinking maybe an Apollo guitar, um, an arch top, right. That's, that's what I do. Let, talk to me about your spec because I don't have standard specs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then a page with like bazooki, various mandolins, just just that. Yeah. And 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 have a sort not so much a blog, but a, a page where I can sort of use it a bit like a blog, just update it with mm -hmm. any kind of news or new information and yeah, current work or something, just as I go. I use it a bit like Facebook. Mm -hmm. something like that but the lot the one i've got currently the guy does i can't he, i've tried to put stuff on it and then you go and you click the wrong button and everything disappears <laughs> and it's like it's not enough time in the day is it no, it's, uh... no. <laughs> i mean what do i do make guitars or play with computers you know it's like well, yeah, and now here we are, just talking on on the internet. But um, oh no, but it's it, time we caught up, anyway, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. Well, it looks like you're having a great time over there, and uh, and nothing looks like it's worrying you too much, which I think is uh, is exactly what you need, isn't it? You know, we live in a lovely little quiet rural village, and we we feel really, really blessed. Very lucky and extremely grateful for it and that's that's how it is what's the point of living a life that you're not satisfied with you know in some way i mean it, like i was saying earlier i mean my i spent years and years of total stress financially mm. and just having to drive myself to make you know yeah to be free of that now honestly Alistair, it's a completely different life yeah it's just Comparatively, I'm in paradise here. You know. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like We've it. Got... Every time, every time I speak to you, you, you seem like that, and uh, I kind of will make the best guitars in that environment as well, won't you? When when there's well, like, I feel like breathing down your neck. Yeah, you can give it of your best, and and yeah, under your own regime. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, well, look. Uh, hopefully, I don't know when we'll get to go to anything like the. Uh, that Mannheim show again, maybe yeah. maybe next year or what? It's this year, is it? September that usually is, but um, yeah, we'll see, won't we? But soon enough. Hey, okay, Andy, lovely yeah. to chat. All right, Alistair. Lots of love. You too. Yeah. Bye. So that was my conversation with Andy Manson. Uh, what an interesting guy. It was so nice of him to give us his time. If you want to find out more about Andy, uh, please look at the show notes below. I'll include his website and any other interesting information I can find. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go ahead and give us a five-star review. Apparently that really helps spread the word. I'll be back next week talking to another guest. I've been Alistair Atkin and you've been listening to Tuned. Thanks very much. <laughs>